0: and then he went into the kitchen slowly opened the refrigerator and it was empty (gasps) so then the man weak with hunger raced from the refrigerator to the counter to look for a delivery menu but all he could find was one for a vegan place Ah! Ah! vegan places aren't real right? no they're not real or are they? ah salad Ah! 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 Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the latest and greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction. I'm your host, Comic Nick Munez. Today we have got Daniel Blumstein's bestseller, Blumpkins 101. We have got the nature of fear. Fear, it's there for a reason, but it comes at a big cost. You got giant clams down in the ocean. They retract their mantles and close off their shell when a shadow passes overhead. Then they become unable to photosynthesize, losing the capacity to grow. Foraging birds, they're picking their head at the ground trying to get worms. When they sense a threat, should I stay or should I go now? Humans, unfortunately, have these same impulses that also cut off their abilities to grow. Daniel says amongst humans, fear is often an understandable and justifiable response to sources of threat, but it can exact a high toll on health and productivity. We all just survived the biggest fear campaign in human history and all we got was some lousy gene therapy. Is anyone going to buy that as a shirt, new merch item? I have a fear of overly intricate buildings. I have a complex, complex, complex. What do you call a fear of giants? FiFI phobia The only thing that flat earthers should have a fear of is Sphere itself. Daniel started his career in Kenya, 1980s, observing monkey behavior, got chased by a lion on his bike on the way to work. It was like a live-action movie. Marty McFly grabbed onto the back of a truck while a lion was chasing him, and he said without an adrenaline rush, he would have been catnip. He paid the price for it the following days, weeks, months. His mind was always reeling over the fact, should I not bike to work through an African safari today? Good start, Daniel. He says... This anti-predatorial behavior, fear-based thinking, is what you do when there's no rational solution. Unless he's taking a 12-gauge with him to work every day, yeah, you have every right to be afraid, and it's how you adapt from there. Before we start and get into the meat, we got to drop some hefty quotes on you, because I'm not just going to spurge out on you about animals today. Thomas Jefferson During the Enlightenment, he said, When people fear their government, there is tyranny. When governments fear their people, there is liberty. Drop some Terrence McKenna on you. I've been hiking out in nature. Look at the Patreon. Nature, it's a novelty-producing engine. We are nature's best creation. We could be evil. We could be good. Fractal entropy, man. Patterns are infinite recognition is creativity anybody could draw two lines together daniel is pretty good in this book at drawing the lines of what fear comes from where you're just gonna have to hold on to your seat did you guys hear about the ghost who thought he could scare everyone on earth all of the ghosts in the community call this guy boo cocky seven chapters today faster pace, fun pictures get on that patreon speaking of which here's an ad yep welcome back. I got an eye spy for you right now. The hikes you got to be looking at them. We're zooming in. Can you spot the marmot? This was on one of my hikes. I think it was North Arafo Peak. Hikes are over on the patreon. This is twelve thousand feet above the tree line. Nothing can survive up there except for these hefty little marmots and they're eating grasshoppers. Daniel T. Blumstein. He had one of these high Rockies research bases. probably stumbled across it. He's an ethnologist, a conservation biologist, and a Blumpkin aficionado. <laughs> He's a professor at the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. He's a professor for the Institute of Environmental Sustainability. I did read he was born in Philly, but he was a buff in the 80s out here in CU Boulder teaching environmental conservatism. Lame. I'm buying real estate on garbage Island, son. I'm buying Trump's casino on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Remember he wanted to do that? <laughs> it's basically what these freaking research facilities are I'm up in the middle of nowhere and then you come across this gated off lake it's called like a water table it's off of the Rainbow Lakes trailhead if you're up here you're expecting they have like the most beautiful cuts of land here just for conservation there's going to be Obama and the Yeti wakeboarding by I'm expecting to see some cryptids Blumstein's been doing animal medicine for a few decades we're going to have just as much chemistry as Chuckles today talking about elimination reintegration of wolves into yellowstone they just reintegrated wolves into colorado had some close encounters with mooses lately i spent way too much time in zoos growing up sprinkling those stories and who am i kidding i spend way too much time at zoos currently i'm gonna spaz out (laughs) what the dog doing animals are silly let's have some fun today after another ad blumstein's about to drop the hammer Chapter 1 A Sophisticated Neurochemical Cocktail. 1989 to 1993, Daniel studied golden marmots, a large alpine ground squirrel who can carry the plague. More plague exists today in marmots than did throughout the Middle Ages. We have Prairie dogs in the foothill regions, and those are the really skinny ones, and those guys carry the plague as well. They said down on Colfax Ave, downtown Denver, the homeless people got the plagues from the prairie dogs. Similar elevation, Daniel Blumstein is in northern Pakistan, 14,400 feet above sea level. So that's like our highest peaks, Everest Base Camp Elevation. Hiking up to a hot spot, he's with all of his research buddies going to look for squirrels, and a trail collapses from under him. He's clawing his claws down into the ground. His left hand is able to grab onto a root, but his shoulder gets dislocated. It's happened to him before, so he's not panicking. It was a day's drive to the nearest hospital, so he gets people to tie up his arm into a makeshift sling. Says the adrenaline got him in control of his painful body, and then he was able to pop a Valium for the ride. Imagine how much adrenaline this guy was under. Valium is able to relax your shoulder muscles and made for an easy repair. They got a doctor to snap it back into place. Yo, so I had my shoulder surgery not going into that whole thing today. But some girl came by when I was trying to track down who hit and ran me. And she's like, I'm a nurse. Let me snap your shoulder back into place. I'm like, this is way worse than an outplaced shoulder, sweetie. <laughs> Don't you have to have like a, a license for that? The good citizen Bad Samaritan law. (laughs) Uh, This guy, he's saying Daniel's arm would have healed like a sloth. So nature would have healed all kinds of shoulder injuries if you didn't snap them back into place. But now it's a different function. Think about monkeys. We are monkeys. And sloths, you could say they have double jointed shoulders. What this really means is they have permanently dislocated shoulders. If Blumstein eased off the Valium and just went nature on this, he could have been doing those... TV monkey bar shows um, American Ninja Warrior and there's a game where they play tag on TV now and this guy the whole point here is I didn't take any Valium any of this shit Valium enhances neurochemicals to relax the body and the mind fear does the opposite the neurochemical cortisol tightens you up and it makes you rigid school and science is going to tell you that fear is an emotional response it's a Chemical impulse. And I'm not trying to like trick you with words here. Not every chemical is an emotion, but every emotion is a chemical. The difference between a reaction and an emotion is the length of time. Prolonged fear can become part of one's personality. The length of time, it can become an emotional behavior more than a reaction. Just look at the last year. My observation, people living under a state of totalitarian fear we're only seeing the first two years of this, people. Look at the tweets from Australia. People are like, how can I sneak across the Queensland border? And other people are tweeting the cops account at these people. <laughs> the ratting has just begun. Fear really does change people's whole psyche. In the long term, think about it. It's healthier to be reactionary than it is to be emotional Like we do all these emotional intelligence books. You can't let that shit fester in your mind. You got to deal with it and just move on with your life. Okay, yeah, my aunt, my godmother died of COVID. I don't care. It's sad. It's just another cause of death now. Let's go back to life. It's healthier to just react and then move on. Your boss is pissing you off. Tell him off. He's not going to fire you. This guy doesn't want to go through another hiring process. You know your worth. (laughs) I'm going to get people fired. It's healthier to just get it out than to just do this emotional fear-based shit. More in the chemistry. When you're elated or when you're sad, your body doesn't change physically. When you are induced with fear, cortisol is squeezed into your blood. It's a giant fight or flight. We learned from that other book's um Like, if you get a fight response, the blood is able to go to your hands. If you get a flight response, it goes to your feet. And then most people have fear responses. I just don't like to tell you that. (laughs) Fear is more than an emotion. It's like that lion example he said before. He thought about it every day he went to work. If you get in a car crash, you think about that shit forever. It becomes part of your parasympathetic nervous system. Even deeper, I'll go. That is part of your fucking epigenetics. Your kids are going to be scared of lions. That's the reason kids are smart, dude. They're scared of monsters. They're scared of pumas and shit lurking in the dark. Yes, be afraid of the dark. Keep it in check. Build a fire. Long-term exposure to fear makes you irrational. It makes you emotional. I'll be using... Cortisol and adrenaline interchangeably throughout the show. Like I said, cortisol jacks you up for fight or flight and adrenaline. You could take it in a shot. They're just uh, catioclomines, catiochemicals, something like that. All of them make your eyes widen, your hair stand up on the back of your neck. Your nostrils flare up to get more oxygen, glucose dump. So as long as you're not ketogenic, you're going to start burning all that sugar. Start watching horror movies, you're burning all kinds of calories. For real, though, they do studies on this. Every time you turn on the news, it gives you a little hit of those KDO clomines. Everything in moderation. You know, you don't want to overload your system with fear porn. Like, you could binge on uh, horror movies. Every MSNBC viewer eventually needs to become a skydiver. (laughs) They need to get their fix of fear. Daniel says the more fear you're exposed to, your body produces glucocorticoids. And this is like the epigenetic thing. It sticks onto your cells and lasts a while. It has a function in nature. Like we're saying, you should remember where the snake is. When it comes to the marmots, they rely on the one who has the most refined cortisol levels. Like they did actual FMRI studies on marmots at this Pakistan base. They're measuring the one marmot's brain that was looking at me. While I was taking a video of it, that little twerp has the best cortisol response of his whole little kingdom of squirrels. (laughs) They also had this higher overall hormone levels during lynx season. So the marmots like sense in the air when it's hunting season. We are mole people like we tied with the moon and all this shit. I say that men have periods too. It's just the time of the month when they're getting their hair (laughs) cut. Best move for humans. In survival situations, is overwhelmingly to pause take a deep breath. Let's go to Chapter 2, Beware of Looming Objects. While researching at UC Davis, Blumstein rescued a young crow on the green. He knew the thing wasn't going to last the night with all the stray cats in the area. You ever look into that stuff? Cats are able to kill 2.5 billion ground-nesting birds a year uh disney's mascot is mickey mouse a friggin rodent every single night at the magic kingdom they release a hundred cats to go and kill all the mice cats looming little hunters daniel he's rescuing this crow so it doesn't get eaten alive he's force feeding this crow cricket dipped proteins what jeff bezos wants us to eat he loved to eat tortellini so the crow's name becomes tortellini start feeding him italian food they're feeding him burritos and salsas bird is eating better than all of his students doing uh, research assistance he acted like a parrot indoors but he needed a lot of attention daniel said he would sit and watch him while he was doing his work at the computer and tortellini learned how to peck the off button on his computer big red blinking button We know this. Crows have this, like, they know when the cross signs go, so they drop nuts in the street and let the cars break it open. Heartless Daniel and his girlfriend kicked Tortellini out of the house. He'd been stashing food outside (laughs) and broke the trust. Who would have ever thought that crows could eat dog food? Has anyone ever eaten Hormel chili? There's some takers out there. It's dog food. I'm broke as shit. The... (laughs) I might as well just start going to PetSmart and buying hamsters and grilling them like a uh, Peruvian person. <laughs> Hormel chili, bro. It's just like little tiny balls of beef. It makes you sick every single time. I eat dog food. The media tells us we're dumb for taking ivermetic and anti-parasitic. You're feeding us dog food. <laughs> Hormel. Suck my dick, chili. Sorry. Nature of fear, not anger tortellini when his uh stash ran out outside of the house he disappeared from daniel's life for a week and then he returned with a technique called mobbing he came back with his group of pestering crows and they all swarmed daniel's house like a friggin' cancel mob working in complete unison they couldn't get along so they turned on him the crows have like communication to the point where they can communicate faces without being at the event. Or they can communicate events even. Like you've come across crow funerals. I'm sure you might not know it's happening. But they all gather and squawk together. They're not tribe things. They just know how to talk. I sound like that uh, Rick and Morty when he gets obsessed with the crows. <laughs> Daniel found out that crows even will mob other crows that don't have the same color eyes as them. Just because they're afraid of them. You know, crows are racist. All crow lives matter. Changing eye color. Call him Crowsef Mengele. <laughs> Daniel. He tried an experiment where he put on a native crow mask. <laughs> this guy thinks he's the Lone Ranger. In that movie, the Johnny Tepp, he had an entire dead crow on his head. Daniel was saying all he did was paint vertical lines down his face. And crows find this color familiar and they treat you as one of them. It's pretty wild, so all the buzzards won't swarm you if you have that Native American face paint on. How did they figure that out? They got one Native American tonto, a dumbass, to lay down and paint his face for crows to peck at his eyes? I think I should become a chicken hypnotist. <laughs> you ever see those videos? Farmers pay them good money, too. All you got to do is put the chicken's head down into the sand and draw a straight line from it. It's pretty wild. You could hypnotize a crow the same way. found out in 2021, most people are incapable of drawing a line in the sand themselves. (laughs) Topical. Made some political connections about, you know, we can't trust each other because we'll peck each other's eyeballs out because they're different colors. This whole chapter to me doesn't show how smart crows are, hyper-intelligent. It shows how humans are animals. (laughs) Natives would also do that thing where they would put stuffed deer heads on their head to go hunting looming objects was the name of the chapter ended it on uh snakes they're the ultimate loomers it's like a they could pretend to be a stick for millions of years we developed eyes for spotting the outlines of snake camouflage that's one of those big hunter tips you're always going to want to look for the outline of the animal because their fur and all of their changing skin of reptiles, snakes here they have honed this for 60 million of years where our 2 million year eyeballs can best do outlines very ethical study by blumstein here they strapped babies to a chair and gave them a lifelong fear of snakes they just like showed them pictures on a screen and measured their hormone levels i don't know what they figured out by that Um what I find more interesting is how when they put one of those fearful images up, you can detect it a fraction of a second before. Sigh, big predators, they have a loom of their own. You never wanna be in a forest when everything goes quiet. Let's move along to chapter three. Noise matters. Flew to Vancouver, he took a year off in the Gulf Islands watching sharks breaching over onto seals. It's shark week time, baby. I gotta go full discovery channel. If you don't get hypothermia, good luck on not becoming fish food. Daniel was given a bulky red immersion suit and was required for safety reasons. If the shark wants a taste of you, I don't think a red immersion suit's going to do much. He says, you think you'd be inoculated to the fear of just being around some fish with all the fear we go through on a daily basis. You know, your odds are higher to get in a car accident than to die of a flu or a shark attack geese and loons are adding to the ambiance of his entire trip here they're squawking above the foggy waters they found out through some of his research over the year birds who nest near exposed predator sounds have 40% less offspring it's that thing how coyotes they do the roll call howling to each other at night if less coyotes answer back the females litter will grow so if more groups of women tweet about the horrors of motherhood, less ladies are going to have kids. These functions are not chemical. These are digital. They're howling. They're tweeting out into the night. we got to have more kids. It's against the female animal code. You have to glamorize the act that any species can do. Reproduce. He did a study baiting marmots out of holes with horse food. And so these marmots were like, building their homes around the food. Big surprise. The humans bought four-foot speakers and started vibrating some bass-heavy tunes through the ground. The marmots reacted by digging their holes 12 feet deeper. Last chapter is called Finding Your Inner Marmot. (laughs) Maybe we're not monkeys. He had more findings from the study in the Gulf that... Gulf Islands... uh, Most animals dislike loud noises, obviously. That's um like in L.A., they have a coyote problem, but the coyotes can't do that roll call and communicate because people are always honking their horns. So we read Coyote America. People get hit in L.A. and the coyote is stuck in the bumper until the person gets out in Washington. It's pretty wild. Those things are gritty. The most important thing about the marmot is their voice. The book really focused heavily on marmots, and this is the chapter about noise. Their screech is, <laughs> you can't, like, match anything to it. I can try. Have you ever heard a bunny noise? At my friend's house, we were, like, 12 years old. The dad found uh, rabbits in the backyard, so he decided to take them in the house in a box. Of course, one chewed through the box. The bunny was stuck behind the arm like they were scared their dog was going to get it. We closed the door. The dad is reaching his hand under this... Dresser and he grabs onto it. He's like, I think I got it. I'm going to try to rip it out of there. <laughs> so he pulls out and we hear. Eee-hee! It sounded exactly like a squeak toy from a dog. It had the squeak and then the fill back up. The dad's hand pulls out from under the armoire and he's holding a cotton tail. I can't, it was a gray. I remember it to this day. It looked so soft. He let me touch it. There's a little piece of meat on the end. The squeak. You're never going to forget these noises when you hear it. If you hear, like, a guy get hit in the balls, you never forget it. Or, like, a blood-curdling scream. These marmots have developed the most (laughs) terrifying noise ever. And they just let it rip. Calls these uncharacteristic, like, screams. Or nonlinear acoustic attributes. It's almost like a superpower they have. Like, something that small shouldn't be able to make a noise that big like we learned from the speakers any big enough noise will scare an apex predator speculated this is why humans scream when we're scared if you're loud enough maybe you will scare away the bear you better hope you never have to scare away a brown bear like black bears are pussies i was playing tennis in the street when i was like six i turned behind me 10 yards away it was a brown bear i sprinted away it didn't even chase me that's definitely not what you're supposed to do You're supposed to play dead. Who came up with that? I would not trust whatever FEMA.com tells you to lay down when you see a bear. Motherfucker, get wheels. Let me give you some easy memorization here. Nick's nonfiction survival tip. Bears are the opposite of humans. (laughs) The black ones are docile and the white ones are inviting you into their territory (laughs) now the white ones aren't territorial i'm pretty sure that's a hack bit bears white black white bears are telling the black bears move back to africa (laughs) it's a polar bear you're fucked black bear you could probably slap the shit out of it and a grizzly anything brown get out of there Horror movies, they give you those jump scares. This chapter ended talking about volume. Just pay really attention to the audio next time you watch a scary movie. It gives away all of the jumps. Then a good Shyamalan will throw in some non-jumps for you. Got to keep them on their feet. Noisy images, they say, catches viewers' attention. Noisy colors can confuse predators as well. Let's go to our next chapter. Chapter 4, Smells Risky to Me. Australians, this penal colony is trying to inseminate (laughs) the world with their totalitarian ideas. The Aussies, they were the first people to ever synthesize dingo pee. That's right, Nobel Prize, they turned it into a repellent. These wild dogs have the craziest omnivorous diets, and their pee smells like a skunk. The function it had is for farmers in Australia keeping the kangaroos away from their crops because they're naturally scared of packs of dangos. Daniel went to the sanctuary in Perth. They took a couple of petri dishes full of dingo pee out into the field. This guy's holding stink bombs. He puts one of the things of pee into the kangaroo food bins, and then for months there on out, the kangaroos wouldn't eat from the pee. They're scared of it. Pepe Le Pew out here is the only evidence we need. You know, smells risky to me is the chapter. We need to weaponize... Pepe Le Pew's anti-gravity technology. Remember that guy would float after chicks that he smelled really good. Smell is more than about fear. <laughs> Dingo pee smells like the Tasmanian devil. That's what it is. And the kangaroos are then afraid of the pee just because it smells like a their predator. So you got a question, do dingoes change their diet to make their pee smell different or does the dingo's interior gut bacteria just over countless generations refine the pee? Some Darwin shit, survival of the fittest. It's just kind of what your cells are mutating into and if that's preferable in nature, you're going to survive. Smells risky to me. If you've got the better nose, if you've got the better marmot fear section, you're going to live on longer. We need to hear some societal context to how you could use a dingo pee to your advantage <laughs> i'll tell you i was practicing chemical warfare as a child i was farting in elevators sending it up a floor in college i stepped up my research and development my freshman year roommate he taught me the art of the pee disc <laughs> you take a frisbee you turn it upside down and you let out a real hungover yellow stinky piss into this thing You put it into your tiny college (laughs) freezer, and then you let it (laughs) freeze for the night. Got to take out all of your produce so it doesn't smell. When this thing is nice and frozen, you go to your RA, or your biggest enemy on the floor, and you slide the pea frisbee underneath. And you got to do it while they're at class. (laughs) so They don't see a giant pea disc come under the door. It melts. It gets into their rug. They wonder who did it. You are the pee bandit forever. This is what Blumstein was doing with Tasmanian devil piss. It should have been used in like, uh, what did they do in Oregon? They surrounded the governor's house. They should have pee-disked them. Daniel, he did a study at one of his labs in the Rockies. He said, people can smell pee of different species and then are able to identify human pee. Every species is able to identify the smell of their own waste. And if you're a podcaster, you think your own waste smells good. Trimethylliazoline. It's the chemical which elicits a different reaction for different animals. So it's like a chemical that only has one function in your brain. And it's to make it know that your pee is the same smell. Like if you go in the woods, you can without out a cougar scat. I haven't came across those yet. You hear the stories about the musk on those things, but like a bear turd, it has a distinct smell. You come across all those mule deer turds by me and it's just it smells earthy and grassy. This TMT chemical, it can dissipate in your body over days, so you have a different reaction to different waste. So like if you come across a 10 week old cow patty, you're going to recognize it as older. It's the poop chemical in your brain. What? It's our pooper power. Oh, he did it on him. (laughs) And this could build up over time if you let this TMT chemical just control your environment. We're back to the news again. If you have it playing in the background, your shoulders are just going to start turning up. You're going to get real anxiety hunch. (laughs) Daniel did a study here on uh, lion cage cleaners, and they're like able to. (laughs) They are the blumpkin aficionado. They were able to tell any type of scat. They tasted it. (laughs) But we got to go back to this other study though. First, how did (laughs) Daniel he convinced college girls to smell his pee? (laughs) Okay, maybe we don't want to examine that. Seagulls. He ended the chapter with. They're so loud because fish aren't. You know, fish can't scream. Like we were saying before, they have less kids. The fish have to rely on their scent. Smells risky to me. Fish have the biggest olfactory organs in the animal kingdom. Like they say, sharks can smell blood from 10 miles away. These olfactory systems. One sense goes down, a bunch of other senses are increased. And then he ended on toxoplasmosis. If you haven't heard that story by now, you're living under a rock. We might read a Gad Sads book eventually, The Parasitic Mind. Check him out. His podcast is ass, though. Real talk. <laughs> chapter five. Be very aware. He started this chapter talking about fasting and intermittent fasting is a controlled way to optimize your concentration. Name the chapter. Be very aware. I treat my body like a freaking science experiment. Here are some of my fasting findings. Day one is just mental irritability. So maybe not on day one of your fast, you're going to be very aware. I mean, when you have experience, you know just when you're being distracted. And so you can get that edge back. Day two of the fast is just hunger pangs. It's nothing mental anymore. You just accepted it as a body. We're not eating right now. So your stomach tries to revolt and it makes you double over. Day three through five, if you could hold strong, you are unencumbered. You're, like, refreshed. You feel like a human. I don't know, man. I think (laughs) Uh, Mesoamericans, they did these weekly fasts. And they say some of the traditions come from the Sunday break fast. Like I'm saying, all you really need is a meal a week, and that's probably going to get a little FDA sticker put at the bottom of this YouTube video. (laughs) I don't know about this 2,000-calorie-a-day bullshit, man. Your stomach is an engine, and it will get used to whatever fuel you're feeding it and to how frequently, or better comparison, what gear you are putting it in. So, like, these Mesoamericans were able to fast for weeks at a time i haven't put my body through that shit that's like religious fasting but you should really experiment with this it does improve your focus modern world it just doesn't have accommodations for these like (laughs) shave your head eat the big mac he went on to explain when you're in control of your mental discourse you're in control of the fear spin outs and then the fear that just lasts a long time i've said it before but when you get into a road rage you take that into the office and then you take that into the gym and then you take that home maybe you can't sleep but that just keeps building up really nothing you could do about it maybe get into bdsm it's the human condition and our society isn't making it easier this whole chapter is just more of this fear and awareness they're the opposite basically like we said if you're taking valium you're going to be able to <laughs> make a really good rock song and you're not going to be all stressed out. whole chapter is about where and when it is appropriate to be afraid. And, I don't know, man, history is more important to me than science at this moment in life because it's kind of obvious that <laughs> you could buy certain studies. I bet marmots have really long fasting periods in the winter. I swear to God, man, how do those things survive? They're in the tundra. Marmots are shown to be very heterogeneous as a a species. They have little differences between them, so you could inflict studies on them much better. It's kind of like the vaccine. We can't have a control group. We have to be heterogeneous so our data can be used against us better. Marmots don't have variants in activity, so one screech is all they need to send fear you're either digging or looking for food, and the more you do that pattern, <laughs> the more shortcuts your brain's puts in place. He says people in the corporate rut don't have much variation in information, so one iPhone alert is able to trigger a fear response. That's a, a really great observation. You know when you get that <laughs> what even is a Amber Alert? 311 is on the highway. Oh. Cops are chasing after me. iPhone Amber Alert. If you can streamline culture, you can control people. If you can do that one marmot screech, you can control a heto new world geranium. In these marmots with the screech, they saw long-term exposure to fear reduces awareness. <laughs> it's like unplugging your brain, bro. You're freaking just tensing up Daniel starts dropping some more like academic terms he's making up he said unaware awareness is this uh, cue that you have in your brain okay that's where the lion is I'm not going to go to get my berries there unaware awareness uh, that's just oxymoronic we are a sentient machine I'm I'm not saying it's wrong but humans are an anomaly (laughs) we can't put words on these things Kinda cool studies mid-chapter about some of these undefinable terms. They did studies on pocket mice, and they found that their fear levels rose in anticipation of rising water and rising population. So even though they're all trying to fuck, or some of the mice are trying to have the most kids possible, it collectively rises the fear in all of them. Because you're thinking, there's less food for all of us now. It's also why there's these pictures of like wide open fields and waiting rooms. They found out with the rats that solitary and the expectation of more people encroaching on your space just shrinks your brain. Like literally solitary confinement shrinks your prefrontal cortex. It's pretty wild that the most communal animals like mice who tie their tails together every single night. They're still weary of other mice. Middle part of the chapter here. The universal fear of novel objects. Every single animal has it. If you put a new toy in a rat's cage, they start fighting over it with one another. They don't even know if it's a toy, if it's a weapon, if it's a piece of food. Their first reaction is just to start fighting. You ever see 2001 A Space Odyssey? Whenever the monoliths come, whenever the humans get a new technology, our first thing is just... We got to control it. Whatever that is, it's ours. We cannot let anybody get their hands on that. Blumstein made the astute connection. This is humans. Novel toys are pieces of information. So the mainstream media, they could just drop any fact, fact in a quote, drop anything on your head. And we like rats are going to go, well, I think this, my guy said that. And you just start arguing with each other when you don't know what the object does yet or what the point this is monolithing towards <laughs> just like um thunder extenuating circumstances make all animals fearful it's not enough to know that your neighbor is a good dude your neighbor is only as good enough as a dude as the supply chain that he's living off of like it's the thunder it's an extenuating circumstance Governments are not what's keeping civilization from going into mad anarchy. It's the good of man. (laughs) It's like... Morals, bro. Yo, what a fucking coincidence. It was called the novel coronavirus. These bitches have known it since the 1960s. That word will trigger people. You don't gotta be scared of objects. Every animal has it within their DNA to turn on their species. Um... This chapter kind of devolved, I'll admit it. But I started talking about fasting to tie it together. On that eighth day, if you do not break the fast, <laughs> that is when your mental faculties revert to acquire food, must get cheese nips. Everything you think about is food again. Like it's moderation, even in fasting, even in these hippie fucking things. You can only take it so far. This is, it's a biblical, man. And on the seventh day, the supermarket shut down and there was chaos in the streets. (laughs) Stay vigilant. Be very aware, as Blumstein said. Uh, Chapter six, listening to signalers. Second to last, only select animals, he says, have the capability of social learning. Like I said, the crows, they're able to converse things without learning sight on scene. What's the saying? Uh... once bitten twice shy Blumstein was saying in nature if uh, you see someone else get bitten then you are once shy and it's not until you actually get bitten yourself that you can learn the lesson intelligence is learning from your own mistakes wisdom is learning from others David said he never forgets the first time he heard a lion eat a monkey this was on an Indian preserve again those blood curdling screens the bunny under the dresser The smarter animals have developed these social learning systems where you can communicate without noise. (laughs) The lemur scream. He's always giving away his position. Monkeys are kind of dumb. We are apes. I'm on team apes, son. We have these incognito signals like zoo videos. You look at gorillas giving each other purple nurples now. Orangutans make eye movements. They can communicate with non-verbally. Daniel observed small monkeys in groups sporting off single lions if they all yelled together. I call this the swiper-no-swiping method. Everybody starts yelling at the same time, and it scares away the bigger animals. It's like animals cannot tell groups apart from individuals until you start to fractionalize. I drove up on a moose. I think I alluded to this in the intro, so i got to tell you about it. Um, it wasn't that big of a happening outside of niederland and it was along the side of a road i just rolled up on this big goofy motherfucker i didn't even know what he's up to he's chilling on the side of the road i rolled the window down to look at this guy and he looked in the window and he was like this is not one animal this is multiple things he got spooked and he started running away his fat was jiggling on his big stilt legs that thing was amazing i felt bad i gave him a big old scare his ACTH levels are going to go up in his feces they um don't realize if you're yelling together I could have hit my car horn (laughs) who cares I saw a moose back to the root of the chapter communication one of the big things we learned when like humans got out of the stone age it was when we were able to communicate about objects and ideas The root animals can only communicate their stem brain emotions. It's not that hard to tell someone when you're pissed off and to complain. And if you could talk about the new car you got, or if you could talk about an idea that you have, that's a fucking higher functioning brain thing going on right there. This must mean, ladies and gentlemen, I have a comedic groundbreak in the laws of comedy. If high brain function is identifying objects... Ladies and gentlemen, the highest form of comedy is objectifying women. Where is my sandwich? The paranoid optimists, he says, have the best poop chemistry. They know the highest cost of fear per scream. So the marmots can't put like words on distances. They just use different pitches in their voice. I don't know, man, all these classifications, it's all on a spectrum. They're kind of smart because they have semi-words. We call it 10 meters, 20 meters. It's just a different noise. (laughs) Marmots and humans, all of our poop responds to the levels of fear and who gets laid the most. He called it a paranoid optimist. It's people who are able to acknowledge fear and then spin it positively. News is keeping you in that low brain fear function. They're not giving you the positive spin. Shouldn't every news station be celebrating that we just eradicated the flu? I mean, take one day, humans, you beat the longest running virus. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing makes sense. (laughs) Um, You got to spit it positive. The paranoid optimist, they said, became the most accurate danger signal. And it became the most trustworthy marmot. It's like error management in humans. The people who know how to make the best bet on Wall Street make the most money. If someone mismanages a crisis, (laughs) even animals know to stop trusting that CEO, that news channel. The name of the chapter is Listen to the Signalers." When are we going to call the news the boy who cried wolf? I mean, I've been expecting for 20 years a weapon of mass destruction... To die of something other than the flu, I mean this shit is retarded. Fucking refine your signal. Chapter seven: Our inner marmot. Fear motivates change best when the message is simple, and not when you curse and end a chapter out of rage. <laughs> Disgust of potential outcome amplifies as you let it fester. It's best to just you know walk through the fire. Be the inner marmot. He's getting motivational at the end. He says habituating stress leads to an increased perception of risk. Had another study here, straight out political. Or After 9-11, they had that threat priming paradox. It's just the uh, red to green meter. And when the government changed that meter, it actually raised the level of cortisol and stress hormones in people's brains. What did they say in the 60s? Unplug, tune in, drop out. You gotta get off the teat. (laughs) I mean, what? We need this Daniel Blumstein. Where are you? We need that study right now. People are beating the shit out of flight attendants because there's just so much stress. We don't know who to take it out on. You gotta beat your wife, not the sky waitress. (laughs) Literally, dude. We're friggin years under just continuous stress now and I was five years old during 9-11 so the war on terror is not fully solidified in my brain or maybe that's just what I was raised on so (laughs) it makes too much sense. You can't hide from threats forever. You know change is the only constant. Don't make me go eastern philosophy on you. Gotta be water. (laughs) I'm going anyway. Danger exists. You can either acknowledge a risk And proceed with caution. Or you can cower in fear. Do you understand? Like, Courage is going through with something. Even being fearful about it. Every single time. You're just using caution to steer that fear. I said Matrix once during this show. Bro. You gotta watch the Animatrix. Holy shit. That's some mushroom content for you. Uh, They're making a new um, Matrix movie. I'm sure it's been revised by Hollywood's infinite wisdom. <laughs> They're probably taking all the esoteric shit out of it. But one of the friggin' keys to life is learning to drive the fear. And this is all about it controlling us, man. Daniel, you are never truly in full control, he says. That is overconfidence. It's a great point. Um, what's Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Gotta have a framework and then just send it. <laughs> They're like, people are pissed this year, bro. You're never in full control. I got the vaccine. I was supposed to be safe. I don't have to wear a mask anymore. Wait, you can get sick even though I got the... It's not a vaccine. Did you do any research? Did you know it's approved by the FDA, but every circulating batch was made before the approval? Like, people don't look into things. They just go into that emotional response. And that's overconfidence. You're confident in your fear is what it's all about baby I mean overconfidence the American dream is oversell under deliver if you're not paying attention to dogma being sold as overconfidence whew, man too political on the last chapter <laughs> dogma sold as overconfidence maybe it's more than American it's just a history of humans ripping each other off pay me the tithe and you'll go to heaven <laughs> try this snake oil these are the things that make the marmots so silly and fun to watch. They're always darting around, looking, to, getting ready to scream. If you saw a overconfident marmot, <laughs> this guy's like standing up on top of the rocks, a hawk would pick this guy off before sunrise. There's a sweet spot in the middle. And Daniel hits this on every animal level. This is a very new book. He said in response to the 2020 pandemic, the fearful messaging was made artificially simple. Damn, like the top of the chapter. If you want something to stick with people, you got to make it simple. you got to typecast yourself so that you're memorable. Artificial simplicity. you got to watch out for it. It's what's turning us into cyborgs. I mean, choose what you want to do. I think it's funny. I like when some people are always darting around and acting like marmots. I'm just wondering how <laughs> fearful messaging can politicize anything. You know, a mask. If you want to wear it, wear it. How did this ever escalate to the point of you telling me what I can put on my face? It was an artificially framed argument by every single media. <laughs> There's a monopoly. Could do some critty cool stuff. Critty. Our inner marmot knows something fishy is going on here, people. Artificial simplicity. Five easy payments of nine ninety-five. <laughs> to properly assess risk, we need to intake information. This means being scared a lot. And being able to learn from that is the economist thing. The more information, the more you can refine. People who get as scared the 50th time they're caught in a rainstorm... As scared as they were the first time. (laughs) Like these are not the marmots you want to trust to refine their alarm system. And this risk versus word assessment. We got pretty spiritual today. Maybe that is the point of life. Earth is a fucking haunted house. Each person's risk assessment is what adds to the entropy. Man. Daniel Blumstein. The nature of fear. Definitely an enjoyable episode. Exciting to be talking to you, the listeners, and that you're still here at the end of the program. Give yourself a pat on the back. We went over some big ideas, some objective talk. We're doing high-brain discussion here. Yay. As for next week, it is Thanksgiving, and you know we're keeping it festive. We got a turkey trot of our own. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Born to Run humans some of the only animals who can sweat one of our pooper powers that i didn't mention today our superpower is endurance we could run down fucking anything this was one of my favorite books of the year we are going deep on the copper mountain tara Humera tribe they run for hundreds of miles in the desert it's a story i don't want to spoil and it's truly motivational I'm not going to unlock my inner (laughs) whatever motivation. I'm saving that for January 1st. So this is just all about the controversies within the running community. Heel versus ball, trail versus road. It's going to be a fun show. Thank you, guys. Once again, I love you all out there. My name is Nick Munez. Memes at Harry Schwunt on Instagram. Patreon.com slash The Niche. See you in seven short days. Later.